0: You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello, and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Gary West, and I'm the Senior Manager, Media and Communications with AIST. Joining me is Justin Curlow, Global Head of Research and Strategy at uh, axa IM Real Assets. Today we'll be discussing the market outlook for real assets in 2022. Justin, for those who are not familiar with the term, what are real assets?
1: We define real assets as real estate and infrastructure, and it's part of our wider axa Alts division.
0: What are the uh, macroeconomic factors that you expect to affect real assets globally in 2022?
1: I think the macroeconomic backdrop is characterized with three main considerations. The first is the continuation of COVID. Now, this Omicron variant has proven to be much more transmissible, but ultimately less fatal. So the restrictions on the economy and the pressure on the healthcare systems in various jurisdictions hasn't been as significant. That being said, it continues to support the inflationary backdrop that has characterized the markets over the past year or 24 months. And as a consequence, the third dynamic is the central bank tightrope that they're having to walk to respond to the inflationary pressures that are coming through as a consequence of supply chain redisruption due to the Omicron variant, as a consequence of the energy transition to greener, more decarbonized um, sources. And finally, the labor market pressures that we're seeing really most acutely in the US market, um, where wage price inflation is starting to come through. So those three factors are driving the inflationary pressures and the central banks having to respond to that by tightening monetary policy.
0: Given the factors you've just outlined, uh, what is the outlook for the real assets market this year?
1: Well, despite the rising interest rate environment, I think it's important to emphasize that rising rates do not equal high rates. And I think the capital markets backdrop, investor allocations to the asset class continue to be below target. And as a consequence, I think it's a pretty conducive backdrop to um, property investment in particular, as it does tend to incorporate an element of inflation hedge, um, really through two factors. The first is the income side of the equation, as most lease contracts in various jurisdictions around the world include an element of indexation or linkage to an inflationary metric. And secondly, through rising construction costs and replacement costs as a consequence, which also tend to put upward pressure on rents.
0: You've just touched on this but perhaps i'll ask given that inflation must be front of mind for investors around the world what does that mean for construction costs and rental growth uh, this year well i
1: think the inflationary pressures that we're seeing have really been focused on goods price inflation not service price inflation which is very different from the long-term average or historical bouts of inflation and so as we think about the goods price inflation that really characterize the current pressures that we're seeing Um, in the macroeconomic side of things, those are transpiring into construction cost increases, not being driven by the historical wage price inflation, but really through the input costs. And I think as the supply chain disruption eases, those replacement cost pressures are likely to abate towards the end of this year. Um, But we're clearly seeing a bit of an increase in construction costs coming through both the actual materials and equipment to be utilized, and also land in some instances and, and as a consequence of that i think for new high quality stock which is clearly what's being demanded by tenants and maybe we can explore that a little bit more in detail later in the in the discussion you know that's ultimately what's being demanded and they're willing to pay the heightened replacement cost rents that are required to continue to deliver new product in the current inflationary market
0: turning away for, from inflation What's the the interest rate outlook and what, what does it mean for property prices and capital values, particularly in Australia? Well, I think the
1: macroeconomic discussion that we had, I tried to highlight and emphasize the fact that rising rates do not equal high interest rates. And I think that the capital market backdrop for property really around the world, including Australia, is benefiting with the starting point that we've got, which is a historically high Property yield spread relative to the domestic um, government bonds. And as a consequence of that, I think this initial 50 or 100 basis point or even 150 basis point rate rise um, will not necessarily put a, a significant amount of pressure on property values. But I think what it will emphasize is the importance of growth. You know, with yield compression largely having been a big driver of property performance over the, the trailing decade or so since the GFC now I think the focus is really going to be on the underlying net operating income and, and revenue generated by these underlying assets.
0: Looking at the various market segments, can you talk about the thematics and megatrends driving real assets and what they mean for the various property classes such as office, retail, logistics, etc.?
1: Yeah, I, I think as long-term investors, we very much look to underlying secular or demographic shifts that are occurring within the economies structural changes that are having an impact on the way we shop how they're impacting the retail sector obviously it's been quite a significant negative Um, it's put a lot of pressure on the profitability of these retailers as they're having to invest in a reconfigured supply chain an omni-channel business model the it backbone to to manage the inventory and to be able to cater to an ever-demanding consumer and as a consequence it's been a huge tremendous support to the demand side of the equation for the logistics sector whilst it's been a consideration on the bricks and mortar strategy of retailers to really consolidate and it's been a, a pinch point for the retail segment so as we think about these broad, broader long term thematic trends you know they drive us to some of the more defensive sectors like logistics like living or wider residential markets You know, some areas that have underlying demand tailwinds and those have largely been the focus of our investment activity over the course of the past three to five years as we knew we were getting late in the economic and business cycle. It's nowhere to say that we were expecting a global pandemic like we've experienced over the past couple of years to to put an end to that. Um, But as we think about the recovery and as we think about the, the next growth phase of this economic cycle, some of the more offensive recovery plays such as those that have been decimated by this pandemic, like retail and hospitality, or in the infrastructure landscape, the airport segment, you know, these are ones that are a little bit better positioned over the medium term to participate in that recovery and economic expansion that we're expecting to, to, to come through in the coming couple of years.
0: On another sector with global CBDs, uh, I guess, decimated over the last two years as people worked from home, What are the prospects for the office market as uh, vaccination levels increase, restrictions ease, and employers think about uh, calling employees back to work in the office?
1: I think the office market has been the most fascinating as it relates to the impact that COVID has had. There has been an acceleration across all segments of the property and infrastructure markets as a consequence of the pandemic. Um, But I think within the office market particularly, it's been a force to drive every individual, every business, every segment of the economy that occupies an office building to adopt a work from home policy, have the IT infrastructure and backbone, the CapEx requirements to to, to invest in that um, essential infrastructure has meant that we've got this option now. Do we go to the office? Do we work from home? The initial Headlines out there were suggesting the death of the office, but more recently, with the data that we're seeing on the leasing side since pretty much the second half of last year, as more and more occupiers and more and more corporates identify what their future office and work from home model is, the hybrid model really seems to be the one that's being adopted. Whether that's one or two days from home or one or two days in the office or somewhere in between, that varies market by market, company by company, and in fact, individual by individual. But what we are seeing is more and more leasing activity starting to be inked as corporate occupiers have realized they do need an office presence. They do need a place for their employees to congregate and to have that information share, have that informal catch up at the coffee machine or at the, 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 the water cooler and that can't be replicated in a remote setting. But at the same time, they're identifying that the type of office building that they need is modern, high quality, recent construction, incorporating all of the ESG health and well-being considerations, and that's a very small sliver of the office market. So I think what we're expecting to see as a consequence of this is yes, leasing activity is coming back and it surprised us in the swiftness of its resurgence, but ultimately it's focused on a very small proportion of the market, which here in Europe is even smaller with about 65% of the stock having been built more than 20 years ago. That compares to the North American or Asia Pacific markets, including Australia, where you know, that figure is much lower with a, a higher proportion of the market being built over the course of the past decade. So tenant and occupier activity is focused on that smallest sliver of grade A stock, But ultimately, it is in very limited uh, uh, availability at the moment in most markets around the world. So there's a huge development opportunity. There's going to be a CapEx cycle that's going to be required um, to improve the existing stock and cater to the type of office that's being demanded in the future.
0: Now, you, in fact, may have answered this next question, but I'll come to it. I noticed that the uh, the office segment is not cited among your defensive or uh, defensive or offensive recovery players. Um, why is that?
1: Well, you picked up on a very good subtle nuance there. When I think about the offensive sectors, when I think about the defensive sectors, and I try and put the office segment within one of those, it's impossible because you've got a huge divergence in performance expectation as a consequence of all of the demand changes that I was... Just mentioning and highlighting, which means the defensive segment of the office market would be those high quality, recently built ESG health and well being considered um, accredited office buildings. That I would put in the defensive segment. However, grade B or grade C assets that require a significant amount of CapEx that probably aren't seeing in their current form a tremendous amount, if any, occupier interest. Those are the ones that I would consider more of an offensive recovery play, but it will require fresh equity injection, CapEx and repositioning in some instances, a potential change of use to an, another alternative, whether it's residential, hotels, last mile logistics, You know those vary asset by asset. But I think that's the challenge of the office market is this, the significant divergence between the grade A top quality recent build versus the rest.
0: Um, You touched on uh, and mentioned ESG a little bit earlier. Um, ESG driven investment programs have been increasingly adopted across the world following uh, COP26. Uh, What are the important considerations in managing greener portfolios for investors?
1: I think it's tremendous the amount of escalation in priority that we've seen. For ESG considerations. And it's not just on the investor side of the equation, it's also on the occupier side of the market. COVID was a huge accelerator that rapidly prioritized ESG and health and well-being considerations. And we're seeing it on the occupier market with leasing activity and rents really centered on those office and um, commercial buildings that have the high quality of ESG standard incorporated into the offering. They're benefiting from higher rents. They're benefiting from better occupancy. So financially, they're a better investment. That's now being recognized by more and more investors. And there's a green premium that's now being incorporated into the pricing of these assets. But more significantly than the premium, I think there's a higher level of liquidity. You know, if you've got a top quality asset that's on the market, the amount of investor interest, the amount of bids that come in are multiples of those that would be offered on a building that doesn't have that high level of specification. So I think that moving up the investor agenda is very well warranted, not only from the occupier side of the equation and the rent growth prospect, the NOI or income prospect, but also from a liquidity and pricing standpoint, as there continues to be a premium that's being embedded into the equity market. The final comment I would make is on the debt side of the equation, where green bonds have also become increasingly um, utilised around the world over the course of the past six to 12 months. And once again, it comes with a better cost of capital. So that also can help uh, investors that that, that prioritise this ESG consideration in their investment programme and portfolio construction.
0: And finally, and staying on that theme, uh, what is the next phase as you see it for real asset investors as green credentials become increasingly important.
1: The transition to a net zero economy, the decarbonization of the way we live, work and play is providing a tremendous amount of opportunity to develop new assets, to inject capital expenditure into existing assets and to repurpose the built world as we see it today. That's happening on the infrastructure side, that's happening on the real estate side, and it's touching just about every segment or sub-segment of those um, real asset marketplaces that that, that we work in. And as a consequence of that, I think there's a tremendous investment opportunity as government balance sheets aren't going to be able to support this. Private capital is going to need to be injected into uh, the market to help build out the infrastructure to help build out the transition to uh, net zero and on the property side of the equation, a huge amount of that transition is going to have to come about from repurposing or rebuilding the existing stock that's out there. It's a lot easier to build new buildings with a net zero target. It's more of a challenge to transition the existing stock into that future target and that's going to be the challenge that's going to, to characterize the markets i think for the next five if not 10 plus years and provide a huge investment opportunity for investors that are willing to to, to walk down that journey
0: that's all for this episode of super talk thanks to justin curlow of axa im real assets for more episodes of super talk and for more information on the work of the australian institute of superannuation trustees visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.